good Sunday morning, Chapel Roswell. We are so glad that uh, you're with us this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Chapel Roswell. It's an honor to be, like I said, and worship with each and every one of you. Now, I want to try something a little bit different this morning to start off. You'll notice in the, the pew in front of you or the rack that's in front of you, you'll notice some little, we call them connection cards. Okay, check those out. And here's what I want you to do if, if you're willing to play along with me this morning. Okay, just fill that information out. You can drop it in the offering basket towards the end of our time together, or maybe when you leave, drop it in one of the baskets by each door. Um, but here's what I want you to do. If you're a big college football fan, okay, if you're not, just don't worry about it, okay? If you are, here's what I want you to do. Fill this out, and then somewhere, maybe on the back, I want you to put your favorite college team, okay? Now, if you're not a football fan, just ignore this, all right? If you are, just trust me, there's going to be something cool that happens because of this, I think. So, take care of that. Just fill it out somewhere. Just put, you know, Auburn or Georgia or, or whatever, okay? Good stuff. As we uh, gather together this morning, would you guys pray with me? Well, most gracious and loving God, we thank you, Lord, for the amazing love that you have shown each of us. Even, Lord, when we don't sense your presence, you are still at work in us. You're still at work with us. You're still at work through us. We thank you for the peace and the joy and the hope that surpasses all human understanding. Lord, we come to you this morning, maybe with pain or hurt. We ask for your presence as we seek your supernatural comfort. Or, Lord, many of us find ourselves this morning in a great place, and we come to you with a sense of awe and gratitude. Lord, at times this world seems to be experiencing a lot of darkness or fear or hopelessness, and we need to experience and live out that hope that only you can provide. So, Lord God, this morning, open our hearts and our minds as we hear the word and your promises that you have for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me tell you about a guy. He's pretty, a pretty cool guy. He's, he's kind of long gone now, but his name was Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane. He was a respected surgeon at a big hospital in New York City. He was 60 years old. This was in the early 1900s. He had done thousands and thousands of surgeries. But in those days, surgery was a little bit different. A seemingly normal and ordinary sur surgery could, could actually be life-threatening to the people. When you were a patient back then, if you had a, let's say, had an injury on your leg, they still had to, to give you the full anesthesia. They would literally just knock you out until the, the surgery was, was performed, and then you could kind of rebound from that. And there were patients who became paralyzed because of the anesthesia, or maybe they woke up when the anesthesia was not still there. All sorts of problems became normal for this. And so Dr. Kane, the surgeon in New York City, he wanted to find a way to create a local anesthesia. Okay, in other words, he wanted to find a way to simply numb the part of the body where they were going to be operating on. He felt confident that such a method would work out, but, but he had one problem. And that was the fact that nobody wanted to be the guinea pig. Nobody wanted to be the patient who's going to experience or experiment with this local anesthesia. But finally, finally Dr. Kane was able to perform an appendectomy. He had performed the surgery more than 4,000 times before he could do this thing with his eyes closed. So just before the surgery started, Dr. Kane used some Novocaine to numb the area around the incision. He then, with his scalpel, cut into the abdomen, carefully dissecting the tissue, and he closed the blood vessels as he worked his way in to that surgery. The surgery was a success. 
But remember I told you that Dr. Kane had a difficult time trying to find a patient who would allow him to be cut open with just this local anesthesia. Well, he couldn't find anybody. Remember that I told you that, that nobody would step forward for this. So, so this is what happened. Dr. And he would not be deterred. He desperately wanted to show the world about this medical advancement. So upset that he couldn't find a patient, he decided to do something odd. He performed the surgery on himself. True story. He used the Novocaine to nub the incision. That's the only anesthesia that was used. Obviously, he was still fully awake. They didn't caulk him out because he had to do the rest of the surgery. He did it on himself, didn't feel anything. The surgery was a success, and it showed the medical community that local anesthesia could work. I find that kind of interesting because here's a guy who, who was literally able to save himself. Uh, he was able to, uh, to, to bring some good out of the problems he had with his health. And I start off with that, that story this morning because the truth is, despite what Dr. Kane did, uh, you and I, were not really able to save ourselves. Uh, but the good news is, friends, we have a God who wants us to be saved, and so he sent us a Savior. You've heard me say it before that, that because of sin and darkness in the world, we've been separated from a just and holy, loving God, but God didn't want us to be separated from him, so he sent us a Savior in the form of Jesus. I mean, that action on God's behalf, that, that's totally, folks, that's radical stuff, okay? We experience God's grace in so many different ways, but that action on God's behalf to rescue us, to restore us, to save us, uh, to, 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 to leave us as inheritance, Lord, for, for, for what he's done, I mean, this is radical stuff. Now, we've talked about before that, that grace is something that you don't deserve. Grace is something that we can't earn. Grace is something that we can't work hard enough in order to attain it, and yet, and yet, God so freely lavishes us with the hope and the peace of his will. That's why this is truly radical stuff. I don't know about you, but I know early in my life, man, I, I was seeking God. I, I was looking everywhere, trying to find meaning and hope and purpose for my life. But you know what? All during that time, God was pursuing me. God was wooing me into a relationship with himself. Great is God's provision for our every need and just when we need it. Over the past two weeks, we've looked at grace and different types of grace. We experience them in different ways at different times. Grace is God manifesting his peace and his power into you and to me. And two weeks ago, we talked about provenient grace. The word provenient is simply a fancy religious word that means that which comes before. In other words, before you say yes to Christ or yes to God, God has said yes to you. And God is working in your life to, to woo you into that place where you'll finally say, yes, God, I want to be your follower. Even before we understand anything about God, God is at work in your life and in my life. It could be uh, maybe like walking onto the front porch of a house, okay? We had a front porch motif up here a couple of weeks ago. Even before, again, we understand anything about God, God is pursuing you and me. We're not sure yet when you step on the porch whether or not you want to go inside or not, but God is, is offering that invitation. So last week, we looked at that justifying grace. The word justify means to be made right, and through the grace of God in which we say yes to be a follower of Christ, God is pouring justifying grace upon our lives. That's why we have the door. Remember last week, if you were here, we symbolically walked through the door expression of an inward faith that says, yeah, we're going to follow God through that through that open door, sending the life-saving message of his grace. 
Now, we use the analogy of a home very often to talk about the different types of grace. Like I said, uh, provenient grace is like walking onto the porch, okay? Uh, justifying grace is like walking through the door, accepting the invitation to come into the house. And after that, with sanctifying grace, that's our word for the day, sanctifying grace, okay? the whole house to us saying, this is yours. You inherit this. This is something I want to lavish upon you because of the amazing love that I, God, have for you, Joe. Okay, that's the cool thing. That we're walking into the house now, accepting the invitation to come through the open door, and now enjoying and accepting and living out I, just a year ago, we moved into this community, and we had a wonderful new house. I love our neighborhood. I love the schools. I love the people next door to us. I love the community, everything about it. We had a wonderful new house. Like I said, we just loved it. But you know what? Every now and then, as I was driving home from church, I would forget that we had a new house over here, and I would take a turn that was kind of in the direction of our old house. We didn't live there anymore. We didn't own that house, a better house, way over here. But, but sometimes I would forget that, and I would take the wrong turn heading back to our old house. Old habits, you see, die hard. I would make a turn that I thought was taking me in the direction that I needed to go, but I had to catch myself. The house is over here. It's a lot better than the old house. Okay, we love the new house. But I've seen several parallels to my own life from that example. I find myself heading towards the old Joe, the, the pre-God Jolo, before I, I said yes to God. You see, with God, we are given new life and we are given fresh opportunities. God redeems us. God forgives us. God restores us. Our future, friends, is no longer based upon your past Romans says there's no condemnation in Christ. In other words, God is not turning his back on you. In the vile, most sinful things that we do, the scripture says, God is sending Christ to die for us. I may be a sinner, but you know what? Christ and God's grace is so much bigger than my sin. And that's powerful news. This morning, I want to look at the, the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to dig into a powerful passage. It may seem at times, at least uh, just kind of originally, that kind of try to decipher a lot of stuff going on, but it's chock full of God's grace. Now, the passage was written by Paul. He was writing a letter to the Christians in the, the city of Corinth. This actually was Paul's fourth letter to the church there. Two of the letters were lost. One we have is 1 Corinthians, one 2 Corinthians. And in this letter, Paul is addressing some of the issues that the early church in Corinth, some of the things they were facing. And the issue of God's grace was just as radical back then as it seems to be for us today. It was hard getting them to understand that no longer are we about works, no longer are we based on keeping the law, but, but now our faith is in Christ who fulfills the law on our behalf. So we're going to go to chapter 12, verse 6 through 10. Even if I should choose to boast, writes Paul, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Uh, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient to you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will not boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Why, that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? I I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then, because of Jesus, I am strong. There's a lot of stuff going on in this passage this morning. Some people may be impressed or, or amazed by Paul because of his teaching or his preaching or his leadership. He was a powerful leader that had many followers. But Paul is saying, should I boast about that? Should I brag about that? Should I be conceited about that? Well, well, no, far from it, Paul says. In fact, to keep Paul from being conceited, God has given Paul a, quote, thorn in his flesh, some sort of physical ailment. We don't know exactly what it is, but something with which Paul had to live his life. He, he repeatedly asked God, God, take this thorn from my flesh. I don't like this. It's uncomfortable. Maybe it's scary. I just don't like it. God, take it away, please. But as strange as it sound, uh, sounds, Paul eventually came to terms with that thorn in his flesh. He, he now viewed it as a gracious gift from God. That, that seems kind of far-fetched, doesn't it? A gracious gift from God, even though it was so unpleasant for Paul. We don't know again what his thorn in the flesh was, but whatever it was, Paul could see that it kept him humble. It forced him to rely not in his own power, but on the power of God instead of his own strength. You see, he realized that when he was naturally weak, okay, humanly weak, that God provided the power that he lacked and needed. The Lord enabled Paul to do things that he could not have done simply in his own strength or in his own abilities. And the truth is, you and I are the same way. God may be calling you to do something that rocks your world, that totally shatters your comfort zone, but God will not call you without equipping you. God will never lead you to a place where his grace is already there preparing for your arrival. That's powerful stuff. That's radical news, but that's the news, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, if I, Joe, rely on my natural abilities or strength, honestly, I couldn't survive in this life. But but God pours out his sanctifying grace. Again, sanctify, it's a fancy church word. It means to be made holy or to be set apart. We'll look at that in a second. God pours out his sanctifying grace on us, helping us to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. Think about that this morning. You are being, by God's sanctifying grace, you are being transformed into somebody who embodies the Christ-like characteristics that we see in Jesus. God is making you more and more and more and more like Christ. That's powerful stuff. The Lord promised Paul that, you know what, Paul, you got that thorn in your side, and I know you've been persecuted, you've been arrested, you've been shipwrecked, but, Paul, you know what, my grace is sufficient for you. And God's telling me the same thing, maybe you the same thing. You know what, you're, you're, God's grace is sufficient for you. No matter what problems you have, no matter what victories you have, God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. So, so justifying grace, that's what we talked about last week. Okay, that's what God does for us. 
That's what God does for us. He invites us into a relationship with Christ. That's what God does for us. But sanctifying grace, that next step of grace, as we accept the, the gift of God's salvation and God's freedom and God's forgiveness, we, we then kind of go into the house. So justifying grace is what God does for us. Sanctifying grace is what God does in us. Maybe somehow you felt moved to, to show kindness to that person whom you don't really know. Or maybe God has given you the right way to handle conflict or disagreement, even though it scares and intimidates you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has given you the right words to say to someone who needs comfort. Maybe you're just starting to realize how you can accept and live out that grace that God wants us to extend to others. In your life, friends, can, can you experience, can you sense the ways in which God's grace has been giving you the strength, the hope, the joy, and the directions for your life? Like I said earlier, in the, in the pew in front of you, you have a connection card, and you have an opportunity to sign up for so many different areas of service here at Chapel Roswell, something even within the context of our gathering on Sunday mornings, but other things as we take the good news of Christ out into our community, out into our region, and yes, even out to our world. You have the opportunity to do something literally eternal for someone else. You're given the opportunity by God to do something that will make heaven a little bit more crowded one day. And that is incredibly good news, that God's grace is bigger than any situation you could ever face. I think back to my pre-ministry days, back when I was a TV sportscaster, and I would be live on the air, and I had a little earpiece in my left ear. And as I was doing the sports, maybe doing highlights, or maybe just talking about something live on the air, the producer or the director would keep saying something in my ear. It could be something like, okay, Joe, you've got 30 seconds left. Or in 25 seconds, we're going to the soundbite of, of the Braves manager, you know, something like that. But it was this guiding kind of voice in my head. I was still saying everything I needed to say and just the way I needed to say it, but I still felt these little things in my ears telling me what to do or telling me what's coming next. In some ways, God's sanctifying grace is like that. The Holy Spirit is, is, is giving us the words to say or maybe the actions to take to show those around us that we are followers of Jesus. God's sanctifying grace guides us and leads us opening our eyes to the new ways in which we can glorify God by accepting a relationship with God and extending that to other people. In the book of Romans, Paul also wrote Romans chapter 11, verse 8. Paul says this about grace, okay? He says, if by grace, then it can't be based on works, okay? In other words, you're talking about grace, God's love. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't attain it. You can't obtain it. Okay, and yet, so we're not called to, 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 to do things on our own flesh because we can't do that. The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us into that relationship with God. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works because if it were, grace would no longer be grace. If we could save ourselves, we, we wouldn't need a savior. If I can pick myself up and clean myself off and do everything I want to do, I, I wouldn't need to, to focus on God and what he wants to do in me and with me and through me. After all, we can do it ourselves. We wouldn't even need God's grace. That's the amazing thing, my friends, about grace, that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, and yet God so freely pours it out upon us. By definition, God's grace is beyond anything you and I could ever do. 
I can't speak for you, but I know in my life, a lot of times in my life, I get caught up in this so-called treadmill religion. Let me explain a little bit about what I mean with that. In treadmill religion, we have to work hard and we have to perform at a high level in order for God to take notice of us. For some, maybe that's the only way you've ever known how to experience love and acceptance, not even from God, but maybe even from, from those around you. Because sadly, that's, I think, kind of the system that our culture has adopted. And for some of us, maybe the way in which we live our lives, trying to perform, trying to strive, trying to beat everyone else. Maybe that's how we've lived our lives. And God is saying, no, you know what? I gave Paul a thorn in the flesh so that he would look for me because he couldn't take care of it himself. The problem, though, with treadmill religion is that it leads to one of two things. It either leads to pride. You get prideful or arrogant or proud because you were able to do something that maybe other people couldn't do. Or it leads, not to pride, it leads to despair. That feeling that you just can't measure up. That feeling that you're not good enough. That feeling that, that, that what was me, I'll never measure up to what God wants me to be. So if we obey the rules, we become arrogant. We get puffed up and we seek the validation of other people around us. But, but if you fail to keep the rules, again, you fall into despair. We know that arrogance, we know that despair, those are not things from God. So it has to be something that's coming from within us. Maybe at times you felt like one of those little mice or those little gerbils that get in that little spinning wheel and, and they work so hard to, to pick up all of this momentum, but the truth is they get tired eventually and they've made no progress at all. They haven't gone anywhere. You see, that's what God's sanctifying grace is for. That when we are, are, are pressing through and pressing into God, that, that God moves us not only physically or geographically perhaps, but, but spiritually, even emotionally, God is transforming you, taking you to another place. But at times we chase after the worldly expectations that are not grounded in the truth of Christ. And eventually that often I think leads to shame. Such things are often lured during, during a, uh, maybe our childhood and we continue to, to carry those up through our adulthood. But those viewpoints, friends, are radically different than the grace that God is pouring freely upon us. So God's sanctifying grace gives us answers when we have questions like, what is the world telling me about myself? What is the posture of my heart? Am I striving or trying to perform to earn acceptance from others or... Am I resting in the amazing grace of a loving God? God is calling us to get off of that treadmill and into the loving arms of his grace. So justifying grace, that's the, the grace of God that gives us the assurance that God can't love us anymore and God won't love us any less. And through that justifying grace, our acceptance before God and the grounds for our righteousness come through Jesus and only through Jesus. That justifying grace is that bridge that bridges the gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. And so now the sanctifying grace that we're understanding, it's molding us into the likeness of Christ. You and I, we're being molded, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is powerful stuff. How many of you maybe feel tired because you feel like you have to produce or, or do these mighty things in order to win God's approval? That's not grace. That certainly is not the good news of the gospel. 
How many of us feel just spiritually exhausted because we're constantly trying to climb that proverbial stairway to heaven? That's not grace. That's relying on my own effort. When we least deserve it, though, God's grace is at work in our lives. When we can't seemingly handle anything else, God's grace is at work in our lives. When we feel wiped out or tired or beaten down or dragged behind, God's grace is at work in your life and in mine. Let me take you back to 1982, the Boston Marathon. A guy named Alberto Salazar, he won the uh, Boston Marathon with a record time of two hours, eight minutes, and 51 seconds. It was an amazing race that came down to the wire through a, a handful of people who, who were obviously trying to seek first place. But, but about 40 minutes later, 40 minutes after the, the winning runners crossed over the, the finish line, uh, there came a guy, his name was Gus Gurch. He was a ticket seller at a bus station in Salt Lake City, Utah. He'd never run a marathon before. He trained really, really hard. He exercised. He watched what he ate. He was just finely tuned to run this Boston Marathon. He had trained long and hard for this moment. But at the seven-mile mark, Gresh felt a sharp pain in, in his right leg. He ignored the pain, and he kept running, trying to push through the pain. After finishing the race, okay, after going like 15 or 16 more miles, he went to a medic tent. They performed an x-ray, and they discovered that Guy Gersh had run more than 15 miles with a broken leg. That's right. The sharp pain that he felt was his leg breaking. But because he was in such good physical shape, the muscles wrapped around the broken bone, kind of holding it together, allowing Gus Gersh to finish the race. Wow. Friends, the Christian life is like a marathon. It's not a short-term objective, but rather a lifelong relationship with God. I have to ask myself, Joe, how is my spiritual endurance? How is my spiritual muscle tone? What am I doing to ensure that I am equipped to handle the long race that is set before me? Am I truly able to trust God and his presence in my life? Because God gives each of us a supernatural energy and determination, but we have to choose to accept it. We have to rely less and less on our own strength and more and more upon God. And finishing a marathon requires stamina and preparation and discipline. And so does being a follower of Christ. It's not those things that help us earn our way into God's good graces. To the contrary, we never could earn that. But, but once we do say yes to God, and once we experience that amazing grace that God pours out on our lives, we're, we're called to do things differently. We're called to be set apart. The word sanctifying means to be made holy, to do things differently. Not only are we living our lives different from maybe the rest of the world, but we're also called to live our lives differently from the way they were before we said yes to God. Are you able to look for and to notice and to appreciate the fingerprints of God all over your lives, that, that sanctifying grace that we're walking in, that we're living in, that we're experiencing? Finally, this morning, let me tell you about a guy named Maximilian Kolb. He was a a priest in Poland when World War II broke out. He was a Catholic priest. 
And as the Germans invaded Poland, he provided shelter for some of the Jewish people in his community. And in his church, he was able to hide some Jewish people who were being tracked down by the Nazis. But, but he was discovered, okay? He was arrested. He was sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp where he was simply known as Prisoner 16670. Now, if a prisoner ever escaped from a Nazi concentration camp, the guards would randomly pick 10 people and they would be put to death in front of the whole group. They wanted to prevent, after all, any other future escapes. And so the deputy camp director, after these three men escaped, they, they picked 10 guys at random to be starved to death in an underground bunker. One of the men cried out, my wife, my wife and my children. Father Cole, he heard that heart cry. And he stepped forward and he said, let me take the place of that man. So he was taken to an underground bunker where he wasn't given food and he was starved to death. He spent his time praying and singing. He would try to encourage the other prisoners. And after two weeks of dehydration and no food, Maximilian Kolb was still barely alive. The guards, they, they needed that bunker emptied, and so they gave him a lethal injection of carbolic acid, and he died. He was willing to trade his life so that someone else may live. Friends, God's love is free. It's not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. It called, caused Jesus his life. But that's a trade that our Savior made because of his love for us, a living example of God's grace. That should prompt us, I hope, to press in to God's grace. Instead of relying on my own limited abilities, I need to understand and to live out the fact that God is sovereign, that God knows exactly what I'm going through, that God knows exactly what I need when I need it. I was wondering if maybe we did a reality show together, like the Real Housewives of North Fulton or East Cobb or something like that, and we had a, a TV crew follow us around for maybe a week. And people watch that, that story trans, or, uh, you know, unfolding on their, their television. Uh, if they were to follow you around for a week, if they were to follow me around for a week, could people see you living out that grace of God? Could people sense that, that, that you have a passion for God, that, that you're living your lives for something bigger than merely ourselves? Would they see that, that, that maybe you have fears that, that to you are just so overwhelming, that they're far more powerful, we think falsely, that they're more powerful than God's grace? Could they see us pointing people in the right direction towards God's grace? How are you better living out the grace of God? Or, or are you? Are you pursuing a God who first pursues you? Or are you simply going through the motions, holding on to what you've already got? God's got more in store for you and more in store for me. And are we willing to respond to that call, to that claim, to that promise? Now, as we've been doing lately, I invite you to take out your cell phone if you've got it here. We're gonna put some questions up on the big board. How have I experienced God's grace in an area in which I was totally out of my comfort zone? Question two, what are some ways in which I notice God's grace in my life? I invite you to take out your phone, take a picture of that, uh, maybe tonight at dinner, or maybe at lunch after worship together, that you can just discuss these with maybe uh, your neighbors or your friends or your children or your parents or your neighbor, whatever it could be. 
And I pray that we can do that. Like I invited you earlier to, to fill out one of the, the Connect cards. That offers so many ways for you to serve in a godly way, in a godly presence. That's good stuff. Another way in which we respond to God is through our giving. And here at Chapel Roswell, we have a lot of different ways to give. You can use your app. You can text it. You can go to the kiosk, which is right back there, or baskets that are at the door, and we'll pass those in a matter of mere moments. But, but as we seek to live out that faith, to live out that hope, to live out that joy, friends, would you pray with me? Dear loving God, we, we ask that you seal in the work that was done here this morning we pray, Lord, that your calling for each of us will be so clear, even if it's just for the next step and then the next step after that and the next step after that. May we walk in the ways of Jesus and may we sense your presence by our side every moment. Father God, we thank you for the amazing grace that you pour out. I pray that we can receive it and we can say yes to you that we can sing your fingerprints all over our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.